Hello and welcome to That Nerd Thing, where we uncover the magical impact that fandoms have on our lives. I'm Morgan, and today we have another guest that I have been a fan of for many, many years. She is kind, thoughtful, and so much fun to listen to. She is one of the hosts of MuggleCast and Millennial, two of my all-time favorite podcasts, and I was so excited when she said yes to being on the show. So I would love to welcome Laura to the show. Hi, Laura. Hi, Morgan. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's so amazing, and it still feels so weird that I'm the one asking you the questions when I've been listening to you for so, so long. <laughs> well, hey, you've done us the favor of being on our show, too, so oh yeah, I had to return the favor. <laughs> yeah, th- I think that was back in 2019 before it was video. I remember being so excited when I got that email. <laughs> yeah, that's been a long time ago. I was actually looking it up in our show docs, and it was in our season five, we call them seasons, wow. of the show. And we're currently on season 10. So that tells you it's been a few years. It was definitely the before times, like pre COVID. (laughs) That's crazy. I didn't realize it was season five. I know. Yeah. I never go back and listen to it because I I don't even want to know what I said. I probably was so awkward because I was so excited to be there. Oh, you were great. No. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay, Laura, so I'd like to start out the show asking some questions to get an idea of your nerdy identity. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. What is the first nerdy thing that you got into? Jurassic Park. Ooh. Yeah, so I remember seeing that movie in theaters as a kid. I think I was about five when it came out and absolutely adored it. So it kicked off kind of like a lifelong infatuation with dinosaurs even to this day i'm still very into dinosaurs i will watch any documentary that has anything to do with dinosaurs one of my favorites is prehistoric planet on apple tv plus i don't know if you've seen it but it is it is so good it's narrated by david attenborough and he kind of sounds like winnie the pooh so it feels like you're listening to Winnie the Pooh narrate about prehistoric dino life, which is just a really fun twist <laughs> on it. I've just always been really fascinated by the ideas of prehistoric life and how we learn about them and how our learnings kind of evolve over time. One of the things that kind of blew my mind, especially as a child who loved the original Jurassic Park, was when I got older and realized that we have since learned that some dinosaurs actually had feathers, like Mm -hmm. velociraptors, even the T-Rex, they're thought to have feathers. So when you think about the ways that we envision these prehistoric creatures looking and how that has evolved so much, even within our lifetimes, is just fascinating to me. For my birthday this past year, my boyfriend actually took me to a Jurassic Park animatronics <laughs> exhibit here in Atlanta. Oh, that's so cool. I, yeah, I remember seeing those pictures. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, they had all of the animatronics, at least some of the major ones from the films, including Rexy, like the OG T-Rex from the first Jurassic Park movie. It was just so cool to see all of it in person because I really think something that makes the first Jurassic Park movie hold up so well is the fact that they really leaned into animatronics because they're kind of timeless, right? Whereas if you look at 
some of the CG shots from that movie, they don't hold up as well. But when you're looking at any of the animatronics, they still feel very timeless and classic today. And seeing them in person just felt the same way. So it definitely scratched that childhood fascination <laughs> itch with dinosaurs and with Jurassic Park to do all of that. So that that is my first nerdy thing. And it definitely persists to this day. Do you have a favorite dinosaur? Yes, I do. <laughs> I love the Stegosaurus. They have pea brains, literally. They're not very smart. Um, <laughs> but I I don't know. I, I've always felt kind of an affinity for them. I can't even tell you why. I think because they're just kind of sluggish and lazy. And I identify with that a whole lot. <laughs> oh, yes, me too. Is that the one? I mean, I hope this isn't a spoiler. In the newer movies where they were leaving the island, you just see it sort of falling. Yeah. So this, and this is, it's so funny that you bring up the newer movies. My nerdy fascination with Jurassic Park begins and ends with the first movie. Um, (laughs) So I've never really cared for any of the sequels. And I really don't care for the current iteration of the Chris Pratt movies. I ended up reading the Michael Crichton book that the first movie was based on when I got older, and it is so freaking good. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's it's basically sci-fi horror is what that really? story is. And I feel like in all the sequels, future reboots of the fandom, they kind of got away from that and got more into present day themes of like genetic modification, which is all interesting and can be horror themed. But I feel like they really leaned into the action adventure side of things. And that's just not super my jam. I think I know the scene you're talking about as they're leaving. And there's a dinosaur that walks out like onto the bridge and looks very sad. I think (laughs) that was a brachiosaurus. Oh, okay. Okay. But don't quote me because again I haven't seen the full movies but I have seen that scene yeah I just remember that was very sad and I had to remind yeah. myself it wasn't real over yeah and over right <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole episode about this oh my gosh yes we could <laughs> and trust me as we go through some of these questions dinosaurs are going to come up again so Ooh, okay don't worry what is your favorite nerdy thing I love a good scary story horror has always been kind of a larger genre that I've always frequently gravitated towards most recently I loved the fall of the house of usher on Netflix did you see that one no I haven't I like horror but the newer horror movies and shows kind of scare me a little too much Yeah, and that's completely fair. What I will say about this show, it is like a love letter to Edgar Allan Poe's entire written history, because it doesn't just focus on the fall of the House of Usher. It really pays tribute and has a lot of nods to his other written works. And what I loved about this show and what I love about the horror genre just in general is there are so many rabbit holes that you can go down. Mm. So as an example, when we sat down to watch Fall of the House of Usher, me and my boyfriend, the first five minutes of that show is basically present day kind of flashing back to show you the events that led to where the principal character Roderick Usher is right now. 
And it starts out with the Charlie Day corkboard with yarn, like connecting (laughs) all of these people. And we saw that and my boyfriend paused it and was immediately like, okay, no, 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 we have to figure out all of the connections that are being drawn here because there's no way that these character names are just random. These all have to be actual Poe characters. And I was like, yes, I agree. It's been a long time since I cracked open Tales of Mystery and Imagination, (laughs) but let's do it. So not only did we sit there and look up every single character name that flashed across the screen in those first five minutes and what story they were in and what significance it had, we also sat and reread The Fall of the House of Usher because it's a really short story. It's like eight pages long. But neither of us had read it in quite a long time, so we wanted to reread it before we started the show. I would read it out loud. I would read a page at a time, and my boyfriend Mark would ask me, okay, give me the TLDR version (laughs) of this page. Like, if we translated this to modern speak, how would we describe this page? And it's stuff like, yeah, Roderick made me sit down and listen to him play his guitar. He's basically the guy playing Wonderwall at the party. (laughs) And then I saw his sister Madeline and I didn't love it. She looked pretty horrifying. And we would do things like that to update and modernize the story for ourselves because we knew the show was going to be doing the same thing. It really, I think, gave our show watching experience, a lot of depth to have been curious and wanted to dig, wanting to dig into the story further before we even embarked on watching it. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool that you did that. It was a very immersive experience. Yes. Wow. It was so fun. That's what we do on Saturday nights in our house. I love that. (laughs) I will add that to my list. I have a list of so many things, but this, yeah. It's so good. And I will say there are parts of it that are, I mean, pretty scary, but the whole thing is so well done. And it's not gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous, which is also something I appreciate. Like, Mm -hmm. everything happens for a reason. I don't even know why I get scared. I taught myself to read. I can't remember the name of the book, but there's a story in it, Jenny and the Green Ribbon. Do you know that story? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. What is that from? It's you know, I just looked it up because I was I was actually thinking I would love to interview the author on my show. And then I found <laughs> yeah. out like he died many years ago. Oh. Like, you know, he was a little older, but Well, you get a Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I got that book on tape and I would listen to it as I would read it. And so I taught myself to read with that story. I memorized it. I was oh, obsessed wow. with it. I'm an October baby. I love Halloween. And oh, horror, hell so. yeah. <laughs> love that. Halloween is also my favorite holiday. So Me too. We're kindred spirits. Oh, yes. It's so much fun. It, you know, kind of under the umbrella of horror, I would also, for myself at least, place true crime there. I'm also someone who's really interested in true crime. And that one's always kind of a funny one, because with true crime, you're talking about things that have happened to real people. And I think sometimes there's a tendency of people who are really into true crime to forget that piece and understand yeah. you're, you're talking about horrible things that have happened to people. But I just find it fascinating from like a psychological point of view, understanding the psychology of why people do things, but then also from a police procedural point of view. I'm currently watching American Nightmare on Netflix, which is 
a wild ride for anyone who's looking for something new to watch. And when I was a teenager, I saw the Zodiac movie. Do you remember? Oh, that yeah. One? It had like Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr. I was fascinated by that movie. So I ended up running out and getting the book that that movie was based on by Robert Graysmith, who actually worked at the San Francisco Chronicle at the height of the, the Zodiac oh, wow. case. And I burned through that book. And I mean, we're talking... The book was falling apart (laughs) by the time I was done with it. I was highlighting, underlining things. I ended up going down a major rabbit hole for hours and hours, finding anything and everything I could about that case that was public, just so that I could absorb all the details of it and the history of it. To me, that falls under that horror Mm -hmm. umbrella. And that's, that's somewhere that I really, really like to spend my time and dedicate my nerd energy. I love that. I, the way that you do that is one of the reasons why I love listening to you and all the podcasts Aww, over the years, because you. you really you go deep into everything and you're so thoughtful about things and I'm able to listen and think about things in a different way. Thank so. you. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that there are just people out there. There's an audience that wants that. Right. And I think you see that so much more nowadays than you did Say when we were teenagers, right? I think we're we're about the same age. Being nerdy and going down the rabbit hole in that way was not cool when we were younger. Would you agree? Exactly. Was that your experience? Totally. It yeah. was maybe online. Like I knew it was cool when I heard all of you guys on MuggleCast. But right. in person, I didn't know anybody else who was interested in stuff like that. Well, and I'll be honest with you, none of us, at least speaking for myself, and I know a couple of others felt this way, We weren't super out about it in our personal lives at the time because it really wasn't cool. And Mm -hmm. on the rare occasion that I might tell somebody, especially somebody around my age, that I did a Harry Potter podcast, it was definitely not a cool nerd thing. It was like, oh, so you're nerdy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I hope they look at it now and they're like, to see the amount of years you put into it, how successful it's been, I hope they're able to see that now. It's totally different now. I mean, now it's cool to be a nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. What, what are you currently nerdy about? I've got a few things. I've been playing some really fun multiplayer games with friends recently. A couple of them are Lethal Company. I don't know if, if you've heard of that one, but it is so popular right now that multiple major YouTubers are doing Let's Plays on Twitch and YouTube mm-hmm. and, and wherever else. The game has so many crazy mods you can add to it. I haven't added any mods to mine personally. I just like watching other people do that. But essentially the premise is you and a team are in this feels very Soviet type spaceship and you're traveling to various moons to collect scrap for the company and you have a certain quota that you have to fill for every mission. And if you don't meet your quota, you get blasted into space and <laughs> you have to start over. So that's been a fun one. I also like Devour, which is another multiplayer game. This one's definitely horror inspired. It's about cultists, but it's very, very fun. 
I've also been spending some time on a single player game called Paleo Pines, and this is where the dinosaurs come back in. Um, <laughs> Paleo Pines is basically Animal Crossing, but dinosaurs. Um, so unfortunately, it, it doesn't have a multiplayer component, so you can't play it with your friends. But the whole premise is you have a ranch and you're making dinosaur friends and inviting them oh. to come live on your ranch, and they're helping you develop the ranch so like clearing brush and managing a garden and all the things that you know you would presumably need to do to survive if you lived in the paleolithic era it's just so fun and relaxing and easy i think it's definitely a game that was probably intended for kids but i th- i think like a lot of things you know, millennials and Gen Zers picked up on it because much like Animal Crossing, it's extremely soothing to do. It's easy and a good way to pass the time. Yeah, it sounds that way. What do you think is the most underrated nerdy thing about you? So I'm a linguistics nerd. (laughs) I actually did my master's degree in applied linguistics, which is kind of like a side tangent. I now know that I really didn't need to do that. I feel like a lot of my linguistic knowledge and kind of interests are things that could have been satisfied through personal research and maybe taking some courses, but not committing myself to tens of thousands of dollars of debt to do it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Which is like the millennial experience. But I tend to reflect on experiences like that and feel like, okay, maybe in hindsight, I can have that perspective that maybe I didn't need to do that. But it all leads to who I am today. Right. So I can be thankful for it from that perspective. But in addition to being a linguistics nerd, I also speak Spanish. And it is very normal throughout the day for me to randomly share linguistics facts um, (laughs) or even dive into explanations about something related to the Spanish language. I, for a number of years, have been trying to get my boyfriend to become more proficient with Spanish. So I'll just speak to him in Spanish sometimes. And he's really at the point where he understands everything I say. But we're still answering in English a lot of the time. So trying to work on that. It's fascinating to watch somebody go through that evolution, right of like, not understanding a lot, but then getting to the point where they understand most everything. And they're just trying to figure out how to produce. That's so fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And my favorite thing to teach people about Spanish, because I think a lot of times when people are first learning, they're intimidated by the R, by being able to roll their R's or trill their R's, that Mm -hmm. like sound. And they think they can't do it because it's not a sound that we think we're capable of making, especially as like American English speakers. I love to help people realize that they actually can achieve that because we do have some sounds in English where we kind of do this, even if we don't totally realize it. The way that you place your tongue in your mouth Mm -hmm. to make that trilling R sound is very similar to the tongue placement for the double T sound in American English specifically. So I'll give you an example. The way we say butter, if you think about that compared to the English accent and how an English, you know, a UK English speaker might say 
bata. They really enunciate that t sound. In American English, we don't. It's butter. And the placement of your tongue when you're making that sound is very, very similar to the placement of your tongue when you trill your R's. I'll coach people to sit there and just say butter, butter, butter over again so they can get used to the placement and then encourage them to try and replicate that when they're trying to roll R's in Spanish. And it's really helpful. So I like finding little connections like that and helping people realize it's actually not inaccessible to you just because you don't do it all the time. You actually do do it sometimes. You just don't realize it. Wow, that is so cool. This is such yeah. an educational podcast today. <laughs> I'm glad for it. I know. And it's, it, it's funny because, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. I tried this with Mark and he was still kind of struggling with it, but he's uh, a really big anime nerd. So he's introduced me to some animes. One that I really got into was My Hero Academia. We watched the subbed version, so we're listening to the original Japanese. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that the hero, the main hero in that show, All Might, he speaks Japanese, but certain times in his speech patterns, he actually trills his R's. And I was like, oh, it's so fascinating. So I went and looked it up, and it does turn out that certain Japanese dialects also trill their R's. And I particularly noticed it with him because when he's talking to the protagonist, Deku, whose last name is Midoriya, he calls him Young Midoriya, and he like trills his R when he says that. I heard that, and I paused it, and I was like, Mark, that's it. That That is literally the sound. Say it. And so he put on the All Might voice, and he was able to do it. And I was like, see, that's the thing. That's the moment. So now the joke is that he can only roll his R's when he's doing the All Might voice. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's so clever. I just love finding those little connections yeah. and drawing them back to my interest in language. Something I've noticed about everything you've shared so far is that you've taken something that's nerdy to you that you're passionate about and you've used it in some way to connect with other people. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I actually used to be an ESL teacher <laughs> way back in the day after I graduated college. I went to Costa Rica for a couple of years and I taught ESL down there. And that's really what I tried to do with my students because I was mostly teaching adults at the community college level for the most part. And when you're working with adults, they're so much more accessible to you in terms of making connections between popular culture for example, and what people are trying to learn. And I just think it makes it so much easier and more fun for people to learn something if you're able to connect it to something that they either care about or that really resonates with them socially in one way or another. Whereas if you're approaching something from a purely theoretical, highly academic perspective, it can be a lot harder for people to connect with it. And that's something that I carry forward in all the podcasting we do, especially thinking about MuggleCast. And we're currently doing this chapter by chapter format where every week we're doing a deep dive into one chapter from the Harry Potter series. Right now we're about mm, a quarter of the way into Goblet of Fire. And we've really enjoyed over the last few years viewing these books through our now 
adult lenses and kind of seeing how our interpretations of the stories have shifted, as well as really being able to see the real life comparisons that we can make between what's happening in the stories and things that we've either been through or witnessed in real life, or even things that connect to historical moments throughout history historical moments throughout history. You know what I mean. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, really big, big moments of history that that influence the books. I mean, World War II is a really big one. I think that we can all connect the rise of Voldemort and the prevalence of Death Eaters and blood purity and, and everything too. So we really like being able to make the stories resonate with people in a way that feels like okay, I'm connecting with this, not just because it's a good story, but because it says something about the world that I live in. Have you ever thought about being a therapist? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You just connect with people really well. That's so interesting. I don't know. You know, I'm somebody who has been in therapy on and off my entire adult life. Uh, So I don't know. Is that a good candidate for being a therapist? (laughs) If, if you're like actively in therapy, I think every therapist should be in therapy for sure. Yeah, I can see that. That's fair. I don't know. I I also hold on to things. So I don't know if I would be able to. I don't know if I would be able to compartmentalize enough to yeah. do that. Yeah, I I'll have that. to. Co- I'll have to come back to you on that. I've actually never <laughs> thought about that before. But now now you've definitely piqued my interest. I need to mm. look into it. <laughs> and see what it would take. So Laura, what is the most random nerdy thing about you? I had to think about this one for a minute because I was like, God, what's what's random and nerdy about me? And I landed on this example. Back when I finished grad school, this was like in 2016, I was unemployed and also dealing with a lot of anxiety courtesy of my grad school experience. And because I had a lot of time on my hands and just wanted something else to focus on, I went through a lot of like memorization activities to test myself to see if I can recall uh, large swaths of information in a time period. And one of the things that I did was I learned how to fill in the names of every African country on a Sporkle map within 10 minutes. Wow. I was really proud of that because I was like, man, one day this is kind of going to come in so handy in (laughs) trivia. Has it? Uh, no, not yet, but <laughs> I I think that it will. I believe yeah. it will. And I will say, I was like, oh, you know, before I go on the show and talk to Morgan about this, let me test myself and see <laughs> if I still have it. And I will say, I, f- I feel like I need to brush up a little bit because I kept forgetting the names of some of the smaller West African countries. Now that's something I'm going to get back into because I just find it so soothing sometimes to go through those kind of recall exercises to just be like, I have this information in the filing cabinet of my brain. (laughs) Let me put it out there. And I think it will come in handy for trivia one day. I love that. That is definitely random. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's super random. Let's talk about your journey into fandom. My journey into the Harry Potter fandom began when I was 11 years old, which always feels so fitting for me, given that the age of 11 is when you get your Hogwarts letter and you go off for your first year. So I got the first three books for my 11th birthday, uh, burned through them within a matter of 
a couple of weeks. I was just obsessed from the very beginning. So very quickly, I started absorbing everything that I could Harry Potter because nothing else was out at that point. I'd finished the first three books. The fourth one wasn't coming out until the following summer. I had to know more. So I started writing my own fan fiction (laughs) at the age of 11 before fan fiction was really a big thing in the Harry Potter world. I wrote my own fan fictions where I went to Hogwarts and this was like pre-Goblet of Fire coming out because I was like, I was hungry. I was so hungry for more Harry Potter. Oh my gosh, that reminds me. When I first read it, I made my own Harry Potter textbooks. Yep. I just like drew pictures, stapled them together. I wish I had that. that. Do you remember which ones you made? Whatever was listed in the first book, I think. And it was yeah. just, I just drew pictures. It wasn't anything fancy, but I remember being really into it and wanting to pretend I was going to Hogwarts. Yeah, 100%. Harry Potter kind of bled into everything. All of my school supplies were Harry Potter themed. So much of my internet activity was all Harry Potter. It was getting into MuggleNet. It was getting into the fan fiction world. I wrote a lot of fan fiction back on harrypotterfanfiction.net back in Mm -hmm. the day. I don't even know if that still (laughs) exists in the same capacity that it did then. I ended up working on MuggleNet. I applied to be a fan fiction moderator when they started MuggleNet fan fiction. (laughs) And from there, I just kind of wormed my way into the regular MuggleNet staff space. And when I criticized the first few episodes of MuggleCast for only having men on them, my dear friend Andrew Sims was like, well, do you want to be on? And I I really wasn't thinking of myself. I was thinking, like, you should get a woman on. And he was like, okay, well, what about you? And the rest was kind of history from there. It was being immersed in the podcasting world. So it was like this intersection of my interest in Harry Potter, but also an intersection with my interest in the world of tech and learning how to podcast, learning how to have an on-air presence how to speak in such a way that you can be easily understood and listened to on a podcast. Mm -hmm. I think that really helped me develop a lot of confidence too, because I'm an introvert at heart and a little bit shy. So it really helped me get more comfortable speaking in like a recorded space, but also speaking in front of people. Harry Potter really just bled into so many areas of my life. There are probably things that I'm not even conscious of that it had some influence on. But it also involved me going to conferences. And we went to, you know, London for the release of the seventh book and did a big live show at Waterstones in London. I remember listening to that. Yeah. And we, oh my God, we stayed up all night mm-hmm. reading that book. We, cause we were poor. Like we were like high school graduates slash people embarking on their college careers. So we had one hotel room and <laughs> it was this, it was this tiny little London hotel room. And we were all just up all night reading Deathly Hallows. We were beleaguered and exhausted, but also just so enthralled in everything and seeing the way that this journey was going to end that by the time we all finished, we were still so exhausted, but we were like, we have to record a reaction episode now. To me, that really captures what it means to be nerdy, to find that much joy 
in something that even if you're at the point of having been up for 24 hours, but you just feel like you can't stop. You have to keep going. Yeah, I remember that. I loved those episodes. And I was telling Andrew a few weeks ago that I would have been more excited to meet all of you at that point in time than J.K. Rowling. Wow. MuggleCast and all of you meant so much more to me, honestly, than Harry Potter, because it was different. Yeah. What do you attribute that to? I'm, I'm curious, because we hear yeah. that we hear that from a lot of people who listen to MuggleCast. And I always find it so interesting to hear what it is that kind of gave us a leg up in some cases, I guess, on the author. Yeah, good questions. When I was creating the show, I said, I want listeners to listen to the show and want to be friends with us because that's how I felt listening to you guys. I wanted to be best friends with you guys because I mean, listening to you for so long, I feel like I've gotten to know who you all are and the things you like. And I just really like you guys and I wanted to be friends. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good, good answer, but it's it just that connection. I think it is. It's, it's about accessibility, right? J.K. Rowling was not really accessible to any of us. I mean, a lot of people have met her. I met her for like two seconds back in 2007. And it was like, just long enough for me to be like, oh my God, I work at MuggleNet and I love you. And she was like, great, thanks. You know, very polite and everything. But it is so interesting to hear you say that meeting us would have been more impactful than meeting her because at the time, this has since changed, but at the (laughs) time, she was my hero. I wanted to be her. I wanted to grow up and be a writer. I've always really enjoyed writing. I definitely don't do it as much as I should. But at the time, I was so much in that creative writing space. I was constantly jotting down ideas in journals and pulling up Word documents and just kind of word vomiting to get these ideas on paper. And I really wanted to be like her. So I think if you had told me that at the time, it would have floored me. Yeah, I would have been like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting. And I told Andrew I had a crush on him for so long. (laughs) Oh, you know, what's funny. I had a crush on Andrew, too. Really? Uh, Yeah, no, I definitely did. I mean, I think when you're a teenager and you're spending time, a lot of time with people, I think that's normal. And it's something that he actually knows about. It's funny. (laughs) I bring it up every now and then. Because he'll be like, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, you did. Um, But it's it's just funny because we were very young at the time and there was growth and discovery (laughs) happening that kind of like changed the trajectory of that. But I mean, Andrew is one of my best friends. All of my really, really close lifelong friends, for the most part, have come from the Harry Potter fandom. My life would be so different if I had not been involved and entrenched in that space. And I think my life is actually better for it. If Harry Potter hadn't come along, I don't know if there would have been something that would have filled that space for me as substantially. Me too. It really was my life. Listening to the podcast, the midnight release parties, reading the books, the theme park. Yes. Yeah. Everything. Even as I was talking to you a minute ago about the early days of my life in the Harry Potter fandom, we're like, I didn't even feel like I was in a fandom at that point. At that point, it felt like a fandom of one because I didn't 
have anyone else who was as passionate about Mm -hmm. it to connect with. I was also learning Spanish at the time, so I was getting copies of the books in Spanish to try and increase my competency. And I was trying to translate dialogue from the movies into Spanish. I would sit there and rewind and listen to scenes and rewind and listen again and again and again to get things translated. So that's just another way that it just kind of bled into my life in so many different day-to-day ways. But... Yeah, I when I think about what my what my life would be without Harry Potter, I'm just like I don't know her. I don't know that version of myself who doesn't have Harry Potter as my gateway drug to fandom and to nerdiness, really. I know that's a really good point. Thinking back to what you said before asking what it was about you guys that made me want to meet you and be friends, there were with you in particular, you also were a huge fan. <laughs> Of Green Day. And that was my favorite band at the time. Yes. 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 Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you brought up Green Day because music is a nerdy thing, too. Right. Like, And I think that and we'll maybe talk about this in a little bit. But I think that with nerd culture and sometimes with fandom culture, there can be a lot of gatekeeping, which I hate. Don't don't try to block things off for people just because what it means to them is different you know, than what it means for you. So for example, I don't have any musical training. I never played an instrument. I was in choir for like 30 seconds in middle school. Wasn't wasn't terribly taken with creating music myself, but music means so much to me. And for me, a lot of it is the personal experience of relating my life and things that I've been through to the lyrics or just the feelings that the instrumentals can evoke from you. And that was what I got from Green Day at the time because I was a teenager. I was getting more informed about what was going on in the country. It was during the Bush years. As a 15-year-old, I was like, oh my God, this is the worst political situation that could ever happen in the 21st century. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I I was naive. I didn't know how bad it could get at the time. But I really connected with Green Day because of the American Idiot album. I was obviously familiar with their earlier stuff, too. But that album captured so much of the frustration and teenage rage oh, I was yeah. feeling at the time about where things were politically and culturally in America. Because at that time, you'll remember this, the question of gay marriage was still, that was a third rail conversation. Nobody wanted to touch it. Even progressive politicians were on the I support civil unions, but not gay marriage bandwagon. And as a teenager who had gay friends, I was like, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So something about that album, and then really getting into the rest of their discography, just really resonated with me because I felt like they were speaking truth to power. And that was something that I wanted to be able to do too. And they were doing it. Green Day still holds a special place in my heart. I've definitely broadened my musical taste since then, but <laughs> I'm actually going to see them in August. They're going to be in town. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my- yeah. Have you seen them in live? They're yes. amazing. I've seen them twice. 
Yeah. They oh, they're so good. I remember I met you at Infinitus and the Imprintor yep. and I brought one of the MuggleNet books, which I know you pretty much wrote. Well, I was a contributor on it. I didn't write the whole thing. I was okay. really mostly focused on chapters that were about Neville. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that there, there is also some drama with that because I was originally supposed to have my name on the cover as a contributing author. There was some drama. It got taken off and they put me on the title page and I got screwed out of some of the royalties I should have gotten for my contributions to that yeah. book. So I, it's funny because now I definitely have, a, you know, a different perspective on that, that experience at the time. I apologize. I hope that I didn't look at that book at the time and go like, Ugh. no, you signed it and it, you, you signed your name and then you wrote Green Day Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I, we must have been going on about Green Day. Like, probably. I think, I think I remember you saying something like, oh, I love Green Day too. And we probably were going on about our favorite songs and concert experiences. I wouldn't be surprised if we were having the same conversation then <laughs> as we are right now. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. But yeah, yeah, I was, it was funny too, because at the time, and he still is, Andrew's still into U2. But at the time, Green Day and U2 were doing yes. a lot of co-work together. They were performing together and releasing things together. And Andrew and I kind of had like a, a good natured like Green Day versus U2. I remember. I think uh, you, you spoke about that a bit on Millennial. Was it Millennial at the time? Yeah. No. I think it might have been. I don't know. Sometimes this podcasting stuff all runs together because we've been doing it for almost two decades now, which is wild to think of. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, oh, God, did we have that conversation when we were like 18? Or did we have that conversation when we were 28? I don't remember. I know. That is wild. Time is so crazy. Time means nothing to me now, especially <laughs> after COVID. Like my concept oh, yeah. of time is just screwed. But when you've known people like that for over half your life and you're friends, but you've also simultaneously been co-workers in some respects, it all kind of bleeds together because so much of our work and so much of our play, it kind of intermingles, right? So it's like, I don't remember if that was conversations we had in private or something we did on the show or like yeah. how in tune with that playful banter our listeners were or if that was something that was more between us. That's so interesting. That is the stuff that I remember the most from listening over really? the years. Hearing the relationships and your conversations rather than the details and the content. That's yeah. why I will listen to anything you guys put out forever because it's not about what you're talking about. It's the relationship. I appreciate that. I really, really do. It means a lot because honestly, that is that is the real deal. I feel like with everybody that has been a podcasting partner of mine over the years, even if we fall off the face of the earth for a little while and don't talk, when we come back together, it really feels like no time has passed. When you meet people like that, when you're that young and you do something together, you like put something out into the world or or you have some kind of impactful experience one way or another together, that's always going to be a link between you yeah. and you might kind of fall out of touch for a couple of years but when you come back together it really doesn't matter 
some of my friends have told me for over a year that I should do a podcast, mm-hmm. but that was more in like the therapy world. And I just didn't want to do that. That didn't feel fun for me. But then when I had the idea for this, I just, I had to do it. This is yeah, fun. Well, and the thing is, this is fun, but it is also therapeutic. There is so much, and I'm sure you could agree, and you could probably speak to this at a a deeper level than I could, but there is catharsis and healing that comes from allowing yourself to be immersed in a story, in a game, in music, learning how to fix a car, whatever it is that scratches that itch for you. There is a definite, I think mental benefit that can really help you process some of the more challenging periods of life that we all go through. Absolutely. That's also part of the reason why I wanted to start the show because I went through my own loss a few months ago and I really, I don't view stories as an escape. I view them as an opportunity or a place to feel emotions and to think through things and to connect with characters and to meet other people in these fandoms. It's so much more than just escape. Yeah, I agree. Even if you are thinking about it as escape, I think people may be surprised sometimes when they experience a story or a thing that is so emotionally impactful that it helps remove blockers for them Mm. to then process the things going on in their life. I actually went through this with The Last of Us, the TV show. Because I played that game, loved that game, was just so immersed in the story. And what that show did so beautifully, they took um, episode three and made it all about these characters, Bill and Frank. Essentially, these characters that were, I'm not going to say unimportant in the game, but they're characters you just didn't spend a lot of time with and didn't learn a lot about. And they gave them such a fleshed out, beautiful tragic, heartwarming, but simultaneously heart-wrenching story. And I was going through a difficult time in my own life when I saw that. And that episode had me blubbering like a baby. I was just openly ugly crying (laughs) because it was genuinely, I think, one of the most beautiful pieces of television I've ever seen. But it resonated with me so much because even though... You know, I'm not going through living through a zombie apocalypse with my partner and having to make hard decisions, but I am a person having all these human experiences that sometimes require hard decisions, and it resonates with me in that way. And so I think it really allowed me to experience grief in my own way, feeling like I had something to connect it to and not that I was so much feeling sorry for myself, if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. Yeah, because it just, it brings out other parts of ourselves and we get in touch with ourselves in different ways. A hundred percent. Also, it just helps make you more well-rounded because it forces you to have empathy for people Mm. who are going through things having experiences that maybe you yourself haven't had and seeing these characters and empathizing with what they're going through, I think expands your own emotional IQ and helps you be a better steward of your friendships and relationships, right? Because if you're so siloed that you're not in touch with 
the art and the creativity that your fellow humans are putting out, you're really limiting, you're really narrowing your worldview. And it's going to make it so hard for you to connect with other people. These stories, and not just books, but movies, TV shows, games, really music, everything just helps you connect with that human experience. A hundred percent. So I know you spoke about this a bit, but what would be different in in your life if not for fandom? I think my life would be so different. And it's not to say that I wouldn't have found fandom at all, because there are definitely fandom spaces that I've dabbled in, but I can't think of anything that I've been as intensely entrenched in as I have been with the Wizarding World fandom. Mm -hmm. So I spoke about, you know, my closest friends. If it weren't for the Harry Potter fandom, I would have never met them. If it weren't for Harry Potter, I don't know how I would have developed my deep love for literary analysis, which is ultimately what led to me being an English major in college and really being a reader. And liking to analyze books from the perspective of putting myself in the shoes of the people who are living these stories and connecting those experiences to things in my real life or things in our real society. And I don't know if I would have had that or where I would have gotten that if it hadn't been for the confluence of Harry Potter and the internet hitting at the same time as I was going through those awkward teenage years, I just don't know if anything would have hit in the same way. So I think my life would have been really different. I think my course of study would have been different. I don't know that I would have been as motivated to learn about or meet people from different cultures or live in different places or expose myself to academics in the way that I did. I think that's courtesy of Hermione because I always wanted to, I always wanted to <laughs> yep. be like Hermione. I can't even imagine what I would be like without this. I think my life is so much better because of fandom, it's it's hard for me to even think, what would the positives of not having fandom in my life be? I'm sure there are some, but they would pale in comparison to the negatives. What has been your favorite part of podcasting? Podcasting has been such a way for me to stay connected with my closest friends. If I'm being so real right now, our friendships were rooted in starting this journey together. It has been the through line in all of our friendships. You know, I asked Andrew this question, what is it like for you to have fans? It's not something that comes up terribly often, but every now and then it will. I talked about this on Millennial, I think, but I had an experience a few years ago where I was leaving work. At the time I worked in a multi-office space that was like, offices, but also like restaurants downstairs and shops and things. So it was a multi-use space. And there were a lot of people working there, but also people shopping, tourists visiting the area. So it was just a mixed use thing. And I was leaving, I got in the elevator and there was somebody else in the elevator with me. And he asked me what floor I was going to. And I said, oh, second floor, please. And he just looked at me and was like, are you Laura from the podcasts? <laughs> and I was like, yes, because I was just so, I was still in my work mode, right? I was mm-hmm. leaving work for the day. I was still thinking about things at work that day. So I was not, I did not have my podcasting hat on. Yep. 
So it completely took me by surprise. And I think it still kind of does. So I just, I don't think about it a lot. And I hope that doesn't sound like crass or anything. No, 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 not at all. It's just, it's something that still surprises me. When it does come up. Yeah, because you're doing the podcast with your friends and you're talking and you don't realize yeah. how many people are listening and really, really connecting with all of you. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I love about some of the work that we've done in recent years to try and make it more of a two-way conversation. Yeah. We've implemented the use of a Discord channel where people who subscribe to our shows can actually chat with us during live streams. And we try to recognize people in the Discord. We do Zoom hangouts with our supporters through Patreon every month so that we get FaceTime with these folks. And it means that we get to see a lot of the same faces and a lot of the same names cropping up. So it's to a point where a lot of people who interact with us quite a bit are recognizable. And it's like, we kind of know their stories. Like, we know this person has kids. And we've heard from people who've, you know, maybe shared some difficult moments in life with us. And we've known what they've been going through. And so we've had moments where we've reached out to people when we see, hey, they're going through something, or if they mention they're going through something. And I love that we've been able to find some ways to better connect with the audience. Because for a long time, it really did feel like, oh, I'm just having a phone call with my friends and putting it out there. And we would get feedback from people, but it was all email or social media. When you don't have voices and faces and names to connect with, because it usually came through an anonymous form. If people had real feedback for us, it it just felt harder to connect it. But now that we're interacting with our listeners so much more frequently, it really does feel like a two-way conversation. And honestly, I feel like because of that, our shows are better now than they've ever been. Yeah, I love hearing your side of it and, and what it's like for you. This has been so much fun. <laughs> yeah, what I love about this conversation is you came in with questions that you shared ahead of time so that I could think about and have my examples ready. But the conversation has not, it hasn't felt like an interview. It's felt like a conversation. And we've deviated from it so many times, which is just, it's another sign of a great podcasting presence that, that you have the ability to say, okay, we have a rough plan here. But if there's something interesting that gets brought up, and we're both like, oh my God, let's talk about that for a little while. We can do that. And we were flexible enough that we don't have to like stick to the script. So I feel like we've done that a few times. Thank you. What does being a nerd mean to you? It is being passionate and enthusiastic about something, literally anything. It can be a book, movie, or TV series, music. We've spent a lot of time on those. It can be collector's items. It can be space. I love outer space. That's another thing that I just I'm obsessed with. It can be games, whether it's like computer games or board games. It can be cars, really anything that gets you excited and makes you want to spend time dissecting and learning more about that thing. And you also don't need to be an expert in the thing. I think that's where gatekeeping can sometimes come in in fandom is like, some people think if you don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of this thing, then you're not a true fan. I I don't see it that way. To me, if it is something that 
inspires so much joy and enthusiasm in you that you have the motivation to want to learn more and to want to maybe get to that encyclopedic level of knowledge, then that checks the box of being a nerd for me. I love that. And I love how you mentioned you don't have to be the biggest fan or the best fan or know everything to be considered a fan. It's just about something that you love and you're passionate about and you want to really dive into. Yeah, 100%. As we've established, I am obsessed with dinosaurs. (laughs) Do I have an encyclopedic knowledge of the name of every dinosaur? No. I don't. Do I have the level of knowledge of dinosaurs that like a paleontologist would have? No, I don't. But I'm so eager to learn more about them, which is why anything that I can find that is about dinosaurs, whether it's educational, like Life on Our Planet on Netflix, which I'm watching right now, Or whether it's something completely silly, like a a really bad sci-fi film um, about dinosaurs, I'll get into that kind of thing because I just feel like it lets me learn more, but it also lets me exist in that space and get more acquainted with it. And I also just love talking about it. So it gives me more to talk about, too. Yeah. Whenever I watch anything with dinosaurs now, I'm going to think of you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Honestly, they're so cool. They are. They're they are so cool. And I just love that we're constantly learning more about them. So yeah, yeah. that that's what it is for me in a nutshell. I don't know if you've gotten more like quippy answers to that question. I'm not exactly like a, a quippy person. I'm a little more long winded in the way that I explain things and process them. I think everybody Um, so far has basically said being a nerd is passion and just loving something and and diving deep into it. I like to end the show with a geeky recommendation to help people embrace their nerdiness. So for today, I want to recommend reading YA books. So reading young adult books. I think there's a common misconception that as an adult, you're not really supposed to read those books anymore, that those books are for high schoolers or for people in their early 20s. But I really think these books are timeless and can be read by anybody. And I think we can be forever young. So one YA book that I really enjoyed, it's sad, but I think it's very meaningful, is called They Both Die at the End. I really, really recommend it. I read it about a year ago and it's just stuck with me since then. So check out YA, check out that book and just dive into it. What do you have to recommend, Laura? I'm going to be a little long winded here. I'm giving kind of an abstract recommendation, which I know our social media manager on MuggleCast and Millennial hates when Andrew does this because he does it all the time. (laughs) It's actually something that I've had to learn in the last few years, and it is the importance of giving yourself the gift of time to go down that rabbit hole and get lost in whatever it is that you're passionate about. We are all so busy nowadays that it can be really easy to let your nerdy interests sit on the back burner and not giving yourself the space and prioritizing the time to enjoy those things, especially the things that have nothing to do with your career or your various responsibilities, can leave life feeling a little hollow. 
And as somebody who went through a period of time where I was extremely career focused and I wasn't making that space for myself, I I can attest to that personally. You lose a lot of life's enjoyment by not giving yourself that space to go down that YouTube rabbit hole or read a million Reddit threads or even just having a super impassioned conversation about dinosaurs or Edgar Allan Poe or whatever the heck it is that you're interested in. Those are the things that make life sweeter. And I think we all need to do a better job of giving ourselves that space. In this culture, we are conditioned to be little worker ants. And when we fill our time with all of these professional aspirations, although they are important, if you're not making the space for the things that just bring you joy just because, you're robbing yourself of one of life's main joys. So my recommendation is carve out that space for yourself. I love that. However that looks, if it's planning time every week, To do that, if it's planning a little bit of time every day, it can look different for everyone. But it's something I've had to get really intentional about over the last few years. I love that. Thank you so much, Laura, for being here. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. This this has been such a fun conversation. And I'm looking at the recording. We've been going for an hour and a half. And I honestly truly feel like we could go even longer. Me too. But I know that (laughs) that would probably need to be like a part two. So if you ever wanted to do a part two, just let me know. And I'm so down because I love having conversations like this. I feel like doing this is really just celebrating joy (laughs) is what it is. And I love to do it. So many of the conversations that I have with the people that I'm closest with are like this. So it's just fun for me. Oh my me. gosh. This means so much to me. Thank you so much. I will definitely want to do a part two. Like I said, I've been wanting to be yeah. friends with you guys for years. And if I could have you on my show and have conversations, I'd love that. Yeah. Uh, anytime. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you? A few places. On Instagram and threads, I am LauMT, and that's L-A-U-M-T-E-E. On Twitter, which I won't call by its current name, I am Laurita with eight R's. I know neither of those exactly lend themselves to being easy to find, but (laughs) you can check out my podcasts, Millennial and MuggleCast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, or by following Millennial Show on Instagram threads and Twitter and Millennial Pod on TikTok. We couldn't get Millennial Show over there. And simply MuggleCast on all of the socials. Amazing. Everybody go and follow those right now and go and listen to the shows. They are amazing. And there's a reason I've been listening to them for what, like 19 years now? Check them out. After all this time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. Part of me wants to say like always, but I feel like cheesy. (laughs) <laughs> that's fine. Hey, yeah. I like I like a little bit of cheese. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> so if everyone wants to follow the show on Instagram and TikTok, the handle is that nerd thing pod. And you can email me anything you have to say about the show at that nerd thing pod at gmail.com. And please, if you're able to rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to the show on. Laura, do you have any final message to the listeners? What a moment of responsibility. I know, right? I'm putting it on you. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You know, I would say 
And it, it might sound a little trite, but keeping you, keeping you, because who you are is great. And don't, don't let anyone else convince you otherwise. Yes. Love that. All right. We will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.